0: You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force.
1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome back to episode 47 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. You can find us broadcasting on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are even available right on our own Facebook page, at Films. But enough about how you got here to this wonderful show, let's get it started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, Mark Herleman, and with me like a bad flow-walking vision you just can't figure out is really yourself sometime in the future, the EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler!
0: Hey, everybody. Good to be back on the regular show. I feel like I've been doing guest spots and video stuff so much this last week or so that uh, it's nice to be back home, so to speak.
1: We uh, actually uh, just did an episode on the uh, Star Wars Report, my other podcast, so it was kind of it was kind of weird for me because Bethany wasn't there. It was almost like it was our show, in a sense, that we had Riley on, yet it, it wasn't. But we did kind of dominate it with the way we normally uh, – ponder things. I thought it was kind of funny. Like we were all sitting there, we had this huge show note all laid out and we got to the second topic and then we just totally derailed the rest of the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It tends to be our, our want, so to speak. Uh, The biggest thing I guess for people who are listening to this show, who are into the EU stuff is that, that video series that I've been working on that from the star Wars library video series to try to hit all the different star Wars publications for the EU in publication order This past weekend, I was able to release six brand new episodes. So there's technically, what, 11 now? There's a zero episode that is essentially some background info about the show. A first supplemental episode, which is essentially just a quick look at my bookshelves for those who are curious about that. But then episode number one covers the A New Hope novelization by Alan Dean Foster. Two covers the first six issues of the Marvel series, which is the A New Hope comic adaptation. Three covers Marvel issues seven through ten. And then brand new now, uh, for this past week or so, since the last episode of Beyond the Films came out, we've got uh, episode four, covering Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the novel by Alan Dean Foster also. Then we've got episode five, with Marvel issues 11 through 15. Then episodes six and seven take a turn and look at the old Marvel pizzazz Star Wars serialized tales. Six has The Keeper's World, and then seven has Kingdom of Ice, which is that oddball one from when the series was canceled midway through and they had to pick it up in Star Wars Weekly over in the U.K., and then eventually in Marvel-Illustrated book Star Wars in the U.S. Then issues, or excuse me, episodes 8 and 9 have been released covering one Marvel issue each. 16, the beginnings of the story of Valence in uh, episode 8, and then episode 9 covers Marvel number 17, which is a flashback to Luke's past with Biggs Darklider called Crucible. So lots and lots of, of uh, new material for that series. Hopefully, folks out there are enjoying it. You can check it out at youtube.com, username chronoradio, C-H-R-O-N-O-R-A-D-I-O. Or, of course, we put the links on the Facebook page as they come out. But if you get a chance, stop by, leave some comments, you know, subscribe so you can see them as they come out. I think it's going to be a fun series, and I feel like uh, with that big push of new stuff from that really old stuff, I hope I've gotten around that sort of lack of motivation that I was feeling because of the whole Disney announcement and what is going to happen to the continuity and whatnot. I'm kind of in the, you know what, this stuff is interesting, especially because it's stuff that people might not have heard of, so let's keep doing it. Hopefully I'll keep that mindset.
1: Yeah, I will keep prodding you like that because, you know, that it's a tool that everybody is going to enjoy, you know, and it's visual and everybody likes visuals. Uh, did you say Crucible? Yes, Goody Proctor is
0: a witch. And yeah, they're. They, uh, I always say that when it comes to Star Wars titles, it seems like we're getting to a point where there's almost nothing new under the sun. And yeah, yeah, Crucible, the name of the upcoming uh. post Mercy Kill novel, it was actually used for Marvel issue 17 previously. It's basically Luke and Biggs. And they're celebrating. It's actually the day before Biggs heads off to the Academy. And they're celebrating. And in the process, there's this Tusken Raider raid that's going on. So they wind up trying to stop it. But in the process of stopping it, Biggs gets hit by a gaffy stick or a gadder feet or whatever it is stick. And it poisons him. So they have to get him to medical attention right away. It's it's when Luke damages his Skyhopper that is referenced as having been damaged really early on, I think, in the novelization of A New Hope or maybe the comic adaptation. Of A New Hope. So it's ah. kind of cool. You know, it's the first time we see a flashback to earlier in Luke's life, at least as far as Star Wars publication goes. This was mid-1978 when they did this.
1: Nice. I think Marvel is actually the one that gets tabbed a lot when it comes to uh, taking old titles. Like, hey, nobody remembers these Marvel comics.
0: Let's just take what we want indiscriminately. ha, 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 ha. I'm waiting for it to take the Tarkin and have it be about, like, Tarkin's son or grandson or something. <laughs> I mean, we already had the Lost Command that was all about this child of Tarkin we didn't know existed before. Why not?
1: Yeah, exactly. Also, on the uh, the uh, news of, of new visual things, I'm going to be working on a little video segment, Rogue Transmissions. I, I had an episode recorded for it. I was in the process of editing it. was thinking I might go back and redo it because it was more like an illogical rant. And then... Uh, my studio flooded and I've got total, total chaos around me right now. Like I am surrounded by stacks. I feel like Gandalf when he went to Minas Tirith down in the bottom and he's sitting there with all the scrolls and stuff. That's how I feel right now. I've got Star Wars books and comics literally stacked going up, you know, from, from the ground level to ceiling level in a, in a vertical sense all around me. These little Star Wars book towers. But yeah, it, it started seeping up through the floor. It, it, that's the craziest part was I literally had just came in to the studio as it started flooding from underneath my bookshelf. I'm looking because I got my bookshelf cornered, you know, two sides stuffed in the corner and down at the ground, I see this river of water just kind of flowing. And I've got my posters in these FedEx poster boards and they're sitting in the puddle. Oh my gosh, dude. I tell you, I was on the verge of throwing up my wife when she, cause she heard me screaming. I'm just screaming. It's flooding. And when I grabbed those poster boards, they were soaked, dude, I thought all my posters inside were ruined. I busted that thing open, pulled the posters out. They were still, a, my Spider-Man ones got a little damage, but my Star Wars ones were all okay. I got them out of there so fast, though, but I wanted to throw up. My heart was pounding so hard. I was like, man, if this doesn't stop, what am I going to do? Because, I mean, I've been working on getting everything up off the ground because we had a leak on the other side of the garage. But this came from a total spot I was not anticipating. And because of where my bookshelf was, I was like, is it coming from the wall? Is it coming from the roof? Turns out once I moved the bookshelf out of the way, it was seeping up from the concrete itself. And I'm like, I have no idea how to fix that. It is just chaos here. So, yeah, my videos, uh, they're going to be a little coming. I, I may get that one out there at some point. But uh, hopefully I'll have something for you guys to be able to showcase my cool stuff. But that's uh, going to be a ways out due to the flood, unfortunately.
0: Well, you know at least you were able to 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 catch it while it was happening as opposed to it you know having destroyed everything by the time you got there I mean I guess that's a a small mercy in the situation i can't you you made the Gandalf reference there, and for part of that time, I was trying very hard to keep myself muted and not laugh because every time I hear Gandalf, I think about the the joke that a friend of mine made about we were in the in the Kroger. And as I was picking up some, some various medicines, I was picking up medicines that was along the same shelf as all the stomach remedies and that sort of thing. And he picks up the uh, Imodium AD, right? The, the anti-diarrheal medicine. Holds it up and looks at me and says, You shall not
1: pass!
0: <laughs> Get it? So you know, I was just kind of like, yep, yep, yep. Can't think about it without thinking about uh, uh, someone racing for the bathroom now. Nice. But that's all right. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, to to get us back on track, at least somewhat. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, you know we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we discuss the three story arcs in the tie-in comic book series for the Old Republic. Namely, Threat of Peace, Blood of the Empire, and The Lost Sons. Consider this your spoiler warning, because here we go.
1: Yeah, I see I remember when this was first released, the Threat of Peace and uh, Blood of the Empire, when they were the free webcomics. I remember I was uh the head reporter over at EU Cantina at the time and those were coming out and, you know, compiling up those posts and getting all that stuff going. It was exciting. You know, that was that was right there when they started really kind of flooding the internet with a lot of free online uh, you know, materials to kind of try to regenerate and recapture everyone's interest. I mean, you know, in a sense, it was kind of a bold move because some people, I think, didn't understand or appreciate it for what it was and kind of were really critical of it. But I, I really I think that the criticism was unjust because really, I mean, free Star Wars is always good. I don't see how that's a problem.
0: Yeah, I actually had a chance to check these out as they were being released that way. Also, I expected them not to put them into print form. So what I would do is same thing I did with the Clone Wars online comics at the time that they've only collected the first season of for that Tales of the Clone Wars or whatever it was, um, I went through and I would open it up, but then I would save the image in some form or another and eventually put all those images together into my own PDF version of what this would be if it was a finished comic. And I got to say, the serialized nature of this did not really bode well for the story, I have to say. The Old Republic Threat of Peace was the first one that was released, albeit... The second one collected as a trade paperback once it was reprinted in single comic form. And that was released three pages at a time. And not only did that take a very, very, very long time, it was sort of disjointed in the way that it felt. As we jumped from one place to another, sometimes in the middle of those three pages, it just, it didn't read well bit by bit. But I guess you could sort of ignore the fact that it didn't read as well because you were still reading it a little bit at a time. It's not like you necessarily go back and read everything before reading the new part of it. But then they reprinted it, and granted, they did sort of a test run of reprinting it with that San Diego Comic-Con exclusive miniature comic that has about half of what amounts to the first issue. Uh, That one, it's got some issues because of how small the print is, but I mean, that's just sort of the nature of the beast with something that's printed that small. And then they put out uh, issue number one, which in order to make this work, they wound up making the print, again, somewhat smaller than it needed to be because they put this white border around everything instead of making it a full-sized Comic page, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They fixed that by the time they got to issue two. And issue three was the same way, where it looked fine, just like issue number two did. But I found that when I went back and read this all straight through, one, two, three, right, so all of Thread of Peace, yeah, it really does not read well when running straight through either. It bounces around all over the place, really didn't work for me in serialized or collected form. Then we've got Blood of the Empire, and I think they approached that better when it came to the way that they put it online. Because Blood of the Empire, yeah, it's collected as three individual comic book issues, four through six. And yes, it was collected as volume one because it takes place before the other, even though it was released second online uh, and as individual comics. But that one, when they released that one as a serialized version, they released it seven pages at a time. And I think seven pages worked a lot
1: better. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh,
0: You got more at a time. Plus, it was more comprehensible, I think. But then again, they didn't have nearly as many characters bouncing around the galaxy either, so there was less to have to keep track of. So I'm not sure if that story, because it does read better when it's collected as well, I'm not sure if that story reads better because of the approach that was taken to the story or because of that approach that was taken to how they serialized that one. But it's funny, because I just finished, for from the Star Wars library, I just finished rereading the stories that were serialized back in Pazazz, Keeper's World and Kingdom of Ice. And you know what? Back then, they knew how to serialize a comic as three pages per installment, and have it work really well, and have it read really well when you read them all in one sitting. Uh, I wonder if that's a lost art, because it seems like when they did this, they really did not do it nearly as effectively as they were able to do it back in 1977-79. through 79.
1: You know, the the one big thing about the Old Republic era, and, and with that I'm, I'm talking just not just the game, the books, the comics, all of it together as a cohesive whole. It is, it, 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 it confuses and perplexes me because it feels like they once again, took a plan from George Lucas. Like, how can we release this in the most confusing way possible? And then adjust events later to make things even more convoluted for you. Cause I remember like, there was a whole big issue about the hope trailer coming out. And was the girl in the hope trailer, the same girl that's in this comic. No, she's not. Yes, she is. No, she's not. Yes. She is officially. Yes, she is. But they went back and forth. And then, and then, like you said, Blood of the Empire came out afterwards, but it was set before it. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, and my question, I guess, for you is in Threat of Peace, is the attack on the temple we're seeing, is that the betrayal from Deceived that we're seeing happen in this comic? Or is this before even that? Because I had the impression that, that they sacked Coruscant twice because of this comic, but I, because of the fact that the way they release this stuff, I've never been able to sit down and get it figured out in my head where one comes, then the next one, then the next one. Because it, it always seemed to be morphing and moving and changing and shifting.
0: Well, this perhaps is a good time to hit the, the, the chronological issues that this whole project had. When they were putting out The Old Republic, the video game, when they were talking about the MMO talking about it coming out in the near future, and then even a short while after it came out, and while they were producing all these little tie-in things to get people hyped up, they were very close lipped when it came to when the game is supposed to take place. What they gave us instead was the date for the Treaty of Coruscant right the treaty that ends the great galactic war at least temporarily cedes a lot of territory over to the empire and eventually winds up with that treaty being broken and getting back into more conflict so that the game itself starts during sort of a cold war in between that story the or the treaty of coruscant event takes place in 3653 bby okay so 53 being uh, the, the operative part of this here, and they kept saying that, well, the game takes place about a decade or so after, a little over a decade after, et cetera, et cetera. But then there were other times where they said, well, it's between this many years and this many years afterwards. We don't want to pin it down because we don't want to say that every single character storyline, because there's all these different classes you can play in the game, uh, Jedi Knight, uh, uh, Imperial Intelligence Agent, all these different types. We're not going to say that they all take place at the exact same time, so we're just going to give us sort of a, a range in which the game can take place. That was a warning sign by itself. So they put out <laughs> Fatal Alliance, right? They put out the novel Fatal Alliance first. And Fatal Alliance, they said, uh, because of some of the internal information in that book, that it takes place uh, right... Well, okay, they said it takes place approximately a decade after the Treaty of Coruscant, okay? Which should make it 3,643 BBY. But they also said this takes place Right before the game. It's a lead-up to the game. Only they didn't give us an exact date for the game. Everybody just kind of started to assume that the game must be starting in that same year. Or maybe the game is the one exactly ten years afterwards and Fatal Alliance is more like uh, nine going on ten. So it could be in the, the previous year or something like that. And we still got no dates. Still got no dates. They put out the Threat of Peace comic. It's the tale of the Treaty of Coruscant and what happens right afterwards. So it has a date. Because it's the same date as Treaty of Coruscant, 3,653. No problem there. They put out the Blood of the Empire. Blood of the Empire takes place 25 years before the Treaty of Coruscant, so it's got a date. 3,678 BBY, because you're dating back from a date that is a firm date. They put out Deceived, the novel. It is also covering the same events around the Treaty of Coruscant and Sacking of Coruscant, same events as Threat of Peace, told from a different perspective, This sort of interweave with each other, so that one's got a date. No problem. And then they put out The Lost Sons. And The Lost Sons, they promoted this comic series. This is the other, the the third storyline we haven't really mentioned yet. It's a five-issue storyline that was released as individual comics, never released as a webcomic, commissioned as a five-issue miniseries that was part of the Old Republic line and was released eventually as Trade Paperback volume 3. The Lost Sons focuses on Theron Shan, and what they said was, see, there's the storylines for the class characters in the game. The story of Theron Shan. Uh, Theron Shan is the character that is uh, uh, is going through his own sort of story arc in parallel to the class storylines in the game. So it's taking place at the same time as the game, only this is events you don't see during the game. Awesome! Lovely! Except, yeah, that's not how it wound up working out. Um, they put out <laughs> Annihilation. Uh, just recently, we, we each received review copies of Annihilation, and Annihilation, you know, it's kind of some question as to the dates of this. You check out the Essential Reader's Companion, it pins down that, yes, Fatal Alliance is in 3,643 BBY, right? About 10 years after the Treaty of Coruscant, and that Annihilation, which is sort of an end cap to all the stuff that we saw in the game, it takes place shortly after the game ends, is set in 3,640 BBY, so we got a nice little... A three-year stretch, basically, between the events of Fatal Alliance and the events of Annihilation, in the middle of which comes the game. And then, that that makes perfect sense, right? And they say repeatedly in Annihilation that the events of the Lost Sons, which are supposed to parallel the game, are just under two years earlier. Aha! Awesome! We have a date for the game. 3,642 BBY. Eh, not so much. Then they put out the, the Old Republic Encyclopedia, and the Old Republic Encyclopedia pins down exactly that the game itself takes place in 3640 BBY. So the game itself takes place three years after Fatal Alliance, when Fatal Alliance is supposed to be shortly before it. It takes place 13 years, not just over 10, since the Treaty of Coruscant. It takes place in the same year, but apparently in the first chunk of the year, as uh, when compared to Annihilation. And it means that Annihilation's references back to the Lost Sons now puts the Lost Sons not parallel to the game, but approximately a year and a half to two years before the game. To make matters worse, we have the art of Alex Sanchez in Threat of Peace, who draws Satil Chan to look nothing like she ever looks otherwise, in a way that makes her age seemingly inappropriate in the events of Treaty of Coruscant. I mean, yeah, it that, is that an was absolute what I wanted, mess.
1: I wanted to touch on that too because when you had pointed that out, that that means that Threat of Peace takes place timeline lies after the Hope Trailer. Oh, yeah. And in the Hope Trailer, yeah. she looks more. Yeah, okay. That
0: well, she shows so, up in so, the game, wow. right? And and she's the way that she looks in the game is the way that she looks in the uh, Sith Returning Trailer and the way that she looks in the Hope trailer, and the way that she looks in the Lost Sons. Uh, I mean, she's not a young woman per se. She only looks a little bit older, perhaps, in the game and in the Lost Sons than she does in the other material. Then you get Thread of Peace, and she looks nothing like herself. Her hair color isn't even the same color at this point, and it seems as though she's just been promoted from Padawan to Knight at that point, but that doesn't seem to be the case either. I mean, the way that they wound up putting this together with this vague chronological time frame really seems like it has messed things up. Now, I mean, I guess it all sort of fits together. We can find a way to make it work as long as we ignore all the stuff they said about the stories, like the fact that Lost Sons is supposed to be during the game and Fatal Alliance is right before the game. Turns out, yeah, that's not the case. If we can ignore what they said and go only with the materials we are given in the comics and the novels and the game itself, I think it can still work. But man... If they weren't trying to put out misinformation, they managed to do so by accident in phenomenal fashion. Next time you guys are putting together a Star Wars game with a vague time frame, don't put out anything else until you pin down a time frame for the game itself. And if you know the game ahead of time, don't keep it under wraps. If you know the date for the game, don't keep it under wraps because it seems as though in this case it seems like they kept it under wraps so well the rest of the licensees didn't know what the hell was going on. Great storyline, great universe, great era. Horrible, horrible chronological mangling of the way they put these out.
1: Terrible execution. I mean, when they put out Fatal Alliance, and I'm reading that, and I'm like, wait, this is after all this stuff? I That, I, that I think, to me, was my first real big, like, oh, this is going to get ugly, isn't it? You know, that, that moment of... Um, somebody's dropping the ball here in the planning and, and it's starting to show, you know? And, and and I think that's for us, you know, the fans, when we get the material and we realize that it's already at that too little, too late stage. It's like, you, you know, by the time you see it, you know that there's a lot more damage about to come because by the time it gets to you, they are about four or five or 17 issues into their planning and plotting. And so it's like, if the issue is in the first one, you, you know, it's just going to get worse. But, yeah, the whole Satiel thing really – Satel, Sat- Saddle, satel I don't know. I say it all wrong every time. But when I remember when this first came out, there was S- a lot S- of that whole – Satiel, because they
0: say it in the game. Because Because okay. the game is totally voice acted. There is no text uh, awesome. from spoken that's not voice acted. So we do get to hear the name. Satiel Shan. I, I think it's Shan, not Shan, but I still say Shan.
1: Okay, well, that works, because that's how I was saying it normally, before before people messed with the way I said it. But I remember when, when Thread of Peace came out, the, the, a lot of chronology people, I think even maybe you were one, saying that, that this one, by the time we see her in the game and everything, it, it looked like you know it was going to be like about 30 years, and, and that that seemed to make sense at that time, you know, but then, yeah, the other materials came out. So I guess my question is if you take the games, internal dates and everything out of context of, of the EU timeline of what we've got here, do the, do the materials, the books and the comics, do they line up with each other? Well, if you, if you just disregard the game at all,
0: I think so. I mean, I haven't reread lost sons in a bit. I do actually want to reread lost sons before we do our upcoming episode about annihilation. Uh, I think that if, if you go just by what the the materials themselves say you're okay it's it's less a matter of i mean cuz the, the the materials themselves don't use a lot of internal references to dates not really not all that much um or when they do they're relatively vague dates so you can kind of fudge them a little bit and still be okay it's the stuff they said to go along with it and like like You know, why would you say that the Lost Sons is meant to be a story running in parallel to the different class storylines of the game, meaning it's taking place during the game? Why would you say that if it wasn't actually meant to be the case, if it was actually meant to be two years almost prior to that? It seems as though one of those things that, you know, it's it can't be an accident. At some point, they had to have been thinking that really was what was happening. But that means that somebody along the way got their planning screwed up or maybe they gave the wrong date or a vague date to Drew Carpician, and maybe it's supposed to be that the Lost Sons took place a matter of months prior to Annihilation, rather than taking place uh, about two years before Annihilation. Maybe this is a case where That's it wasn't worked. the comics that messed up, or the encyclopedia that messed up. Somebody gave the wrong information to Carpician, or Carpician messed up, which I doubt, because he's usually pretty good at, at keeping the date straight, and it wound up kind of screwing things up that way. But we don't get much in the way of specific dates other than the dates for the Treaty of Coruscant itself for instance and the stuff before it, we don't get much in the way of dates until we get to Annihilation. Then we start to get things pinned down a little bit more. Even then, I still don't think we would know when Annihilation takes place um, at least without looking at the date given for the game in the encyclopedia. Uh, we wouldn't have known for instance whether that took place in 40 or uh, in 39 uh as far or as far as years before BBY writes three thousand six hundred and forty or thirty-nine. Um just by reading Annihilation itself, because Annihilation doesn't give itself an exact date. Uh the only reason we have an exact date for Annihilation is thanks to the Essential Readers companion. I mean it's it's really a weird, vague way that they handle it. And unfortunately, that mars what is otherwise a really awesome era of storytelling. Hopefully though in the future as people read this they won't have been caught up like we were in trying to read it all as it was happening as it was being released if they can read it after the fact once everything has already been sorted out um it'll be a much more enjoyable experience
1: now in terms of the lost sons i i kind of saw that one as being something that that's spread out over a great length of time to me it, it made sense that the plot that we go you know we we see the uh was it Darth Mechanus, I think is what her name is. Uh, she's creating a super weapon that creates other super weapons in a sense. And I thought that that for the game, you know, what that could bring to the game, I thought that was going to be a great idea. Thinking, you know, that this ran along a, the same time as that. But now you said the way it fits, this is actually going to take place before the game. And that I think I think that is going to limit some of the uh you know the, the potential that you could have unless they decide to say, well, some of the super weapons that uh they're a lot more out there than we thought. And uh turns out, you know, a lot of this happens in the game. But I guess that gets to the game side of things, like like uh the character we have in Blood of the Empire, I think his name is a Thanos or Thantos or something like that. Teneb, it's
0: Teneb Kel, Darth Thanaton.
1: Thanaton, that's what it is. Well, Does his character, I think in the pre-show you were saying that he, he takes place in the game, right?
0: Yes, actually. What we get is essentially an origin story in Blood of the Empire. And it also brings up this idea of children of the Emperor. These individuals who have sort of had their own personalities shunted aside. And the Emperor uses the dark side and some kind of ritual to essentially control them. Imposing his will and his personality. Almost possessing those people. Which is a big part of the Jedi Consular storyline of the game but according to the tor encyclopedia granted i have the game it just went free to play by the way you can play all the way up to level 50 now for free and that's about as far as you need to go to see the end of the class storyline there are eight class storylines bounty hunter imperial agent sith inquisitor and sith warrior for the imperial side and jedi consular jedi knight smuggler and trooper for the republic side i have Played through part of the Jedi Consular storyline, but I've watched, thanks to YouTube, the entire Jedi Consular storyline, Jedi Knight storyline, about half of the Smuggler storyline. I have not tried out any of the Imperial ones yet, but in the Tor encyclopedia, we get an entry for Darth Thanaton under the Dark Council, and it says, which is really kind of cool for those who have only read the comic here, so I'll, I'll actually read it in its entirety, it's not that long, it says... A proud Sith traditionalist, Darth Thanaton has fought long and hard for a seat among the elite rulers of the Empire. Born Teneb Kel, the young Sith rose to prominence under his master, Lord Califo, during the Great War more than three decades ago. But when Lord Califo's power grab earned the ire of the Dark Council, Darth Marr ordered Teneb Kel to strike down his disgraced master. Teneb complied and was thus deemed worthy of a crucial mission. At the command of the Sith Emperor himself, Teneb hunted down and assassinated Exile Kresh, the Emperor's Rogue Apprentice, that's the one from Blood of the Empire, I believe. For this triumph, Teneb was cleansed of his master's disgrace and earned the title Darth Thanaton. Years later, with peace eroding and another war looming, that's in the game, Darth Thanaton is on the verge of securing his seat on the Dark Council, but his plans are momentarily disrupted when his underling, Darth Skotia, S-K-O-T-I-A, is killed by the upstart Sith Lord Zash and her powerful new apprentice. Zash's bold audacity infuriates Thanaton, who values Sith culture and its honorable tradition as the only just path to power. To restore order to his sphere of influence and stomp out the disrespectful underling, Darth Thanaton rallies his power base to crush Lord Zash and secure his ascension to the Dark Council. So that would appear to be one of the dark side, uh, dark Jedi or Sith type of storylines that we see within the game, and he appears. But he's not the only one. Uh, Orgus Din from Threat of Peace appears again. We see, uh, I think it's Tavis... The Trooper shows up again from Threat of Peace. Uh, And of course, with the Lost Sons, we don't see a lot of things that tend to repeat. But the Lost Son characters, for the most part, carry over into the events of Annihilation. I mean, they did a really good job of connecting the comics and their characters into the game. It doesn't feel like you need the game to understand the characters. You don't necessarily need the backstory in the comics to understand what's happening in the game. But it's cool to see them mirroring each other and giving us sort of a broader whole. It feels like this era is sort of more than the sum of its parts thanks to the individual backstories that were being given here that aren't elaborated too much upon in the game itself. And the encyclopedia does a great job of also weaving it all together.
1: Yeah. Well you know, you mentioned something, the fact that the free play, you got the first fifty levels and that all of this story in a sense is there. I almost wonder if that was part of the plan originally. You know, like like we'll we'll create these comics to tie in. Cause, you know, Taneb I I just want to call him Thanos. <laughs> Kel, <laughs> it's a Kel. Thales.
0: Isn't Thanos the guy from Marvel that shows up yes. at the end after the credits of Avengers? Yes,
1: and that's the problem. I keep I keep getting him his Infinity name. Gauntlet time. I keep yeah, I just keep supplementing his name when I see that name pop up. But uh yeah, that, that character was an interesting character, and in the way he did like this flow walking thing in the mission and 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 it's kind of like a future version of himself came to to the younger version of himself and directed him. I, I thought that was a very intriguing thing, and then he just disappeared. And then, you know, tidbit, little tidbit spoiler warning for annihilation here there are references to the game that I was kind of hoping, you know, I'm almost finished with it so we can hit our coverage next week, but the, the references from the game and characters of the game, I was kind of hoping to get more on, but it seems like we're not going to get any more of that. So it definitely seems like you, you to a degree have to kind of play the game if you want to get the most out of the story. So having the, the free to play for the 50 levels that, that just seems like another way to, to say, you know, those of you that have been following us with the free online stuff, here is your free online the game so you can get that last bit of the story to get the full impact of, of this experience. Granted, you know, we both agree that, that they've kind of failed in their delivery of that with the throwing it out of order, not quite having their statements lining up with stuff. I mean, it, that, that's one of those things where. Sometimes I really think they don't lean on Leland Chi heavily enough, or maybe Leland's just so busy he needs like a couple apprentices. I don't know.
0: Well I'll tell you, speaking of apprentices, you know, when they were in the process of putting together the uh the timeline videos that showed up on the old republic's website until they finally just ended for some reason, where they had Love all these those. dates based on the BB uh the before the Treaty of Coruscant, BTC dates and everything leading up to the game itself. Um I got an email at one point while they were working that, on that from Leland Cheese saying, hey, you know, here's the dates that we're intending to use for this, so, do any of these seem off to you? And I was so just, just honored and shocked to say, holy crap, he's asking my opinion on something. I was all like, a giddy <laughs> with girlish glee. Um, but you're right, it does seem like this is something that is, I don't think it was in the plan from the beginning, but it's a nice way to be able to get into it. First off, if you're gonna play the game, the download is gigantic, okay? Um my old computer the reason I never even tried it on my old computer uh, my old desktop was because my main hard drive not my external hard drive but my main hard drive didn't have enough space to hold the game in and of itself it's like 30 gigs or something like that my new computer does i downloaded it played through uh, originally did it, originally excuse me they did a thing where it was essentially free to play up to level 15 and understand, level isn't necessarily levels that you complete like in most games where it's like level one, level two, where you beat a boss at the end. Level means RPG style, leveling up of the character. But as you level like KOTOR. up KOTOR. Yeah. As you level and it really plays a lot like KOTOR. Um, as you level up, looks like Kotor too, looks like last generation, quite frankly. Um, but as you build up, you are going through different points in the story. You know, it's kinda like that the the enemies in certain parts of the story are designed to be approximately the level that you should be as you get to them. You know, you don't want to tackle a mission that is meant for level 50 characters. If you're level 40, you'll get your butt kicked. Um, but it's nice that you can actually go through and play that entire thing. And there's little oddball things you can now do as, you know, like little micro transactions, little purchases within the game. But yeah, you can now play all the way up to the M. But I like Teneb Kel. You talked about him having kind of the, the interesting backstory that would make you want to see him in the game. I'm actually excited to eventually get to that point and see him in the game I like the fact that they play on this imperial morality here. You don't get much in the way of Republic characters. Yes, there's the Jedi that briefly shows up. For the most part, this is a Sith character going after another Sith character based on a plot by the Sith Emperor. And it also includes a slave. Teneb Kill has a slave that he calls Maggot. Okay, this Cyclops-type character. And it's interesting because we see this interplay between them. And I think the most shocking moment of this story, even though you kind of expected it to be coming at some point, the one that made me go oh, I can't believe they just did that with Blood of the Empire right near the end. Remember, we said spoiler warning, of course, at the beginning. Uh, this has been out for a while. Right near the end there, Teneb Kel is the one person at this point who seems to know about the Children of the Emperor plot. Um, and he has no choice, it seems to him, but to kill his slave immediately after setting him free because, as he says, quote, a wise man told me, a secret's no good if half the galaxy knows. I have plans. I can't gamble on your silence. So it's kind of an interesting thing where we see different elements of the character and his version of morality, but it's all within the context of his sort of ascension and what it means to be noble, honorable, et cetera, et cetera, within yeah. Sith society. We don't get much of that. Um, I think Alexander Freed did a really good job of that. For what it's worth, Freed wrote not just... Uh, Blood of the Empire, he's the one who also wrote The Lost Sons, whereas Rob Chesney was the one who wrote Thread of Peace, and I believe he also wrote Smuggler's Vanguard, that short story with Hilo V's that shows up, uh, or showed up for a while at least, on uh, StarWars.com. I think it was recently re-released through uh, Voodoo or however you say it, the uh, Random House site Ooh. for Star Wars stories. You know, the other thing about Kel...
1: You mentioned his moral dilemma. The fact that that you know what you told me about where he goes in the game, how he becomes part of the Dark Council, and all that—that that, that's interesting because you know I, I honestly I saw him as like a good character, and then at the end you know you're like okay well he does the, the classic Sith stuff, but to see how far he rises in the dark side and, and in the in the Council and all that—that's very interesting and and it's it, it's gonna be cool. I, I'm really actually looking forward to getting to play the free to play game just to learn where he goes in it. Uh, another thing I recall, though, when uh, Thread of Peace came out, and by the time I was reading, and I think it was in uh, Fatal Alliance, Master Darnala, uh, her perception, the way she was portrayed from the comic to that book, was totally different versions of herself. It was like one, or maybe maybe it was in Deceived, where she was in. I can't remember, but one of them, the book, she was kind of more like pacifist, and yet in the comic, she's like itching to fight everybody, and it's like, wait a minute, what?
0: Why do they? Well, it it, it makes it makes an interesting little um little twist because that's the big twist moment of threat of peace is I mean the idea of threat of peace what does that title mean you know it it means that if you sue for peace in the middle of this war it in and of itself produces a threat because it gives the empire time to build and build and build until they just strike again it's not a lasting type of peace when you're dealing with sith so you've got A Sith character, and we've got this Jedi character, Darnala, and together they are plotting so that by the end of that storyline, if Satil Shan and her allies hadn't saved the day, we would have seen the Galactic War re-erupt earlier than it actually does within the game. I like the fact that you could have both Jedi and Sith who, for their own reasons, for their own perceptions of what is best for their society, neither one wants this treaty. And because they don't want this treaty they're willing to work together you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend when i guess the bigger enemy is peace in this case not a specific group they're willing to work together in a plot to essentially reignite a war that both sides think that they're the ones who will benefit the most from i, I found that a really cool twist again the storyline in and of itself in threat of peace is almost incomprehensible uh, the sheer way that they put this thing together Maybe they were writing it for later publication, maybe they were writing it initially for just the three pages at a time and thought they'd do it in that form. I have a very, very hard time following some of the turns in that storyline, just because of the way that it is presented. But if you take it out and you kind of go with the story summary, not the actual comic itself, it is kind of a cool summary twist, and it presages what happens in the game. In the game, your character storylines have basically three different acts to it, so to speak. And for most of the characters, by the end of the second act, the war has re-erupted at that point. So it's kind of cool to see that in this storyline right after the Treaty of Coruscant, they're trying to do what winds up actually happening about, what, 13 years later or so, when we see the war finally re-erupt in the game. It's 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 kind of a cool connection. I think Rob Chesney... And Alex Sanchez would have been served better by something like The Lost Sons, where they could spend more time with a longer storyline and focus on it for individual comic issues instead of thinking of it as the serialized thing. I just think it sort of botched their presentation. Um, but I'm not sure how much of the fault is theirs and how much is just by the nature of what they were trying to do.
1: I, I'm i looking in uh, sort of piece number two of three. And is that is that Nos that we see there, the Keldor? I, I don't think they actually name... Oh, wait, no, he's Master Zim, never mind. I was going to say, well...
0: That's a character that also appears within the game. Uh, Oh? So, I mean, there's a lot of these characters, a lot of these background characters, even going so far as, you know, who is the Supreme Chancellor, and when that Supreme Chancellor steps down and we get this Jedi as Supreme Chancellor, you know, how that all works. They're setting up all this... Within the Is that that
1: the Jedi, like the first of many Jedi that become the Chancellor, or is this just a random Jedi Chancellor? I remember it
0: having been sort of a string of Jedi Chancellors in the past. I think at this point it's the only one, Uh, I think Janarius is his name, I think, uh, where you've got this one stepping down and then you have a Jedi Supreme Chancellor. Because it's not that long in terms of the number of Chancellor terms that could exist between... You know the the comics here and the game, and the game introduces a new Supreme Chancellor partway through the storyline, depending on which class you're playing as.
1: Mm. Okay, makes a little sense, I guess. Yeah, the the, the whole like, like I said, you know, it, it's it's a great concept, but yeah, the delivery I, the delivery is the problem. You know, if they could have found a better way to wrap it up and deliver it to everybody, I think you would have no problem all the way around. But obviously, somewhere along the line, whether it be a date that got swapped or something like that. Things got a little more convoluted. Well, um,
0: well, well I, I wouldn't say necessarily wouldn't have a problem, though.
1: Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> you, you
0: mentioned the idea of how good a character Teneb Kell is. I think Teneb Kel plays out fairly well, though it would have been nice to have more issues for his story go a little bit deeper with him before he becomes Darth Thanaton and everything. But I think back to the Lost Sons. And the Lost Sons introduced us to Theron Shan, introduced us to his... Uh, master, who is sort of taking care of him in secret and trying to train him as a Jedi, only to realize he's not Force-sensitive. Theron Shan is a non-Force-sensitive character, which makes him kind of unusual in this era, but really kind of interesting in Annihilation. Um We get Nagani Joe, his quasi-Master, and we get this uh, Twi'lek that he winds up working with from time to time, Teffith, who apparently has some kind of weird speech impediment thing because she seems to be unable to grasp basic very well when most twilight characters seem like they're fine with basic, Ooh, but no, I got a real ya, quick
1: real interjection though, a yeah. little warning, uh spoiler warning for annihilation. We do discover in that book that she can talk with a very precise and crisp Coruscant accent when she wants to.
0: Yeah. It's sort of one of those. She, she just kind of talks her own way. It's, it's like someone who talks nothing but slang and then has to go in for a job <laughs> interview type of thing. But it's was phonics, man. Exactly. Um, uh, <laughs> I got to say, looking at this story, the five issues, the story in and of itself is intriguing. What it boded possibly for the game, intriguing. The fact that it sets up these characters so that we can get much more depth with them and have a lot more interest in them in Annihilation, again, intriguing. But in this comic series by itself, take just the Lost Sons as the five issues and don't think about Annihilation, I found that I didn't care about any of these characters. They were all so single-dimensional, so dull. They were just kind of like, oh, wow, yeah, I get it, ooh, yeah, you're the child of Satil Shan, ooh, yay, am I supposed to care about you just because who your mama is? Yeah, not so much. I really could not get into the characters in The Lost Sons, which is why I'm going to go back and reread The Lost Sons now that I've read Annihilation before we start talking about it next time around, because I want to see if it's possible that maybe, just maybe, my perceptions of Theron in that series can be affected by Annihilation. If I can do that Revenge of the Sith Stover effect thing and give (laughs) more depth to one thing by reading something else, like seeing more depth in the Revenge of the Sith film from having read Stover's novelization of it. I want to like Theron Shan in that comic because I like him in Annihilation. He's a really cool character in Annihilation, but not so much here. Very, very dull character in this particular series. And again, it's by Alexander Freed, which is interesting because he's the same guy who did Blood of the Empire and gave us quite a bit of interesting quick depth to Teneb Kel. And yet, in five issues, he seems unable to do that with Tefith Nagani or Theron Shan. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I have to agree when it comes to the Lost Sons. The only characters on that that really jumped out to me were actually the bad guys. Uh, Darth Mechanics, whatever her name was. The fact that she That's... had the uh, Sith Knights... I, that, uh, that whole concept was awesome to me. Uh, You know, they would capture the Jedi and then, and then torture them and turn them into like these robotic, like abominations. Oh man, that, that was a cool concept. And and I think that there were a lot of really cool concepts that were introduced in it. Uh, I definitely agree when it comes to aspects of Theron Chan. He was a character that I, I think the most profound part of the comic for me was when he didn't tell his mom, I know you're my mom. And then that had big payoff in Annihilation, and and I think I think that that was in that way for Annihilation, it works as a really good setup. I mean, I I I too am going back and rereading it as I'm reading Annihilation just to kind of re put me into that era. And I think that's I think that's the the reason why I feel like the execution is so poor. It's like they could have had this era like like how we get those zero issues and stuff where they have everything laid out for you. They could have done something like that and and. You know, that might have been all they needed to kind of give the creators enough of a uh, understanding of where things are going that that a lot of these mistakes may not have happened as much. But it, it definitely doesn't quite tie in well. And then when you got the Sa- uh, Satiel part, it's like she kind of doesn't really fit in. I mean, they, they kind of put her in there, but then it kind of she becomes like a secondary story to it. You know, it's like she's only really there to establish the relationship between her and Theron. Um, the The whole the whole aspect, though. I really, I see it as a prelude because the payoff is all in Annihilation when it comes to the Lost Sons. I mean, you know, it's all about Theron and that, and everything that you get in the comic, it literally pays off in the book.
0: Yeah, I think it would have been better to have released the Lost Sons a little closer to when Annihilation was released, although I have to wonder if part of them doing Annihilation was because of the success or seeming success, whatever it was, I don't know what the sales numbers were, of the Lost Sons, kind of like if Lost Sons hadn't worked out, they wouldn't have been able to do Annihilation so you couldn't have had both projects in the works at exactly the same time so they could come out very close to each other. Yeah, I would definitely say that Lost Sons I would assume is going to be much better for you if you also read Annihilation, just like I think that Treaty of Course or Threat of Peace, I keep calling it by its original first storyline name because when it was online, they had different the different issues of the comic as they were released 1, 2 and 3 had different act names online. So I keep referring to Treaty of Coruscant by accident, because uh, that's what the first issue of the comic, the way it's released now, would have been called when it was online. But Threat of Peace and Blood of the Empire, I think, will have a greater impact for you if you play the game itself. Oddly enough, I'm not sure that if you play the game, if The the Lost Sons really is going to get that much more depth, because it seems like a lot of The Lost Sons stuff is self-contained and then affects Annihilation, and Annihilation does come after the game and wraps up some of the stuff there. That it doesn't seem as though what it's wrapping up is a lot of things that were overtly necessary to see in the game in order to get it. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you could read Lost Sons and Annihilation. You could pretty much toss the other two. I mean, if you want to see what happens around the time of the, the Treaty of Coruscant, you can read Threat of Peace, but Deceived is much, much better. And unless you're playing the game and are going to be getting a chance to see Darth Thanaton, I'm not sure that we really need to see Blood of the Empire. But Lost Sons, I would say, is an essential read, to use the way that I, I narrow it down for the, the, from the Star Wars Library series. It's an essential read if you're going to read Annihilation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, by the time you get to part four of five in the comic, I mean, we learn about the Sunraiser and how it's, you know, leeching off of a, a star to get the materials they need. No more strip-mining planets to cobble together a handful of ships. The primary forces of our galaxy are now our fuel, distilled by these engines. And even, you know, Sean, he's like, there's enough energy here to power civilization, and you're using it to build weapons? Super weapons. I'll show you. And they go to the, and the next page. I mean, they've got so many. They've got one called the The Gauntlet. It's a light-speed cannon capable of illuminating hyperspace targets. Uh, Emperor's Shadow, third-generation cloaking technology commissioned by Darth Malgus, the Undying, it's unknown, the uh, Ascendant Sphere, which we are reading about in Annihilation, uh, the Silencer, you know, and, you know, you know, any of these vessels would have taken a decade to manufacture under ordinary circumstances. Their weapons operate on scientific principles considered theoretical until now. The energy costs would have turned Coruscant dark. But with the Sun Razor supplying power and materials, we can produce two, sometimes three super weapons a year. The Empire grows stronger and more prosperous daily. And that, I think, is the real threat of the peace. The threat of peace that, that we had from the start was they have been building these super weapons I mean, and to me, I think that plays all the way down into Palpatine's era and stuff. It's like, you know, everybody's like, well, Palpatine's obsessed with super weapons and, and Bantam era and stuff. The EU always got lashed with, oh, it's the super weapon of the week. It's like, well, Palpatine's just taken a note from the old Sith Emperor, you know, the immortal Sith Emperor, the one that lasted for a heck of a lot longer and obviously used lardies and everything else That Palpatine. I mean, Palpatine's just found his playbook somewhere along the line and is using it. That's all. And I think this comic series that that really kind of tied the two together for me, and made it where I was kind of like more okay with those kind of similarities popping up. You know, like typically, you know, I think it was like our last episode, where we were talking about how seeing the Lardis kind of threw you out of it for a moment. But I think like in this aspect, if I if I apply that knowledge to it, I think, okay, well, that can kind of make sense. Pal- Palpatine's just giving a nod of the the old cow. It's an homage, sir. <laughs> you know, one of those things.
0: Yeah, I have to say, I was kind of shocked to see the sheer number of super weapons being built in the Lost Sons. But then to wind up having so many of them taken out right then to just leave maybe one or two or a few out there to be able to actually be used in later stories, I thought that was kind of a good touch. I mean, you got that whole "Oh my God!" because in the the storylines that you get for the uh, Jedi and the Jedi Consort and Jedi Knight within the page or within the game itself, you know, there are certain things that kind of stand out as "Whoa, holy crap! This is a big deal!" kind of a thing that the Empire is doing. To be able to have things like that in the game and in the Lost Sons, but have that whole destruction of several of them as a way of saying, this is why you don't see them all the time. This is why the Republic didn't get beaten. It's that they were able to withstand a few of these, but couldn't have withstood all of them. See what the threat actually was. See how the stakes were raised thanks to Theron. It's at least a fighting chance. I like that idea. And I think you sort of get that with the different character storylines, the class storylines in the game itself, where, you know, you have one that's the Barson Thor, the uh, Jedi Warden. It's the Jedi Counselor, I believe it was, who eventually becomes this Jedi Warden. And you get the Jedi Knight, who eventually becomes known as the Hero of Tython. And you have these characters that essentially, you know, thanks to them, they don't win the war outright but they give the Republic the fighting chance that it needs to be able to finally win the war. We haven't seen technically the end of the war yet. We just know it must end with the Republic surviving somehow because the Republic survives into the future. Um, It'll be interesting to see where they go with this and whether or not the old Republic era is going to be something they're going to continue telling stories in because it seems as though the old Republic comics are done at this point. They have no plans to continue it. Um, I would hope they're going to continue forward with more stories uh, in novel form because the novels are really quite good from this era. But I guess we just have to sort of wait and see. They keep putting out new updates for the game still. I would highly suggest if you're interested in the game but you don't plan on playing it, or even if you plan on playing it but only plan on one class storyline instead of playing every storyline and winding up like uh, uh, the kids on South Park when they were playing World of Warcraft, I think it was, um, check out the Tor Encyclopedia. The Old Republic Encyclopedia is outstanding. It summarizes, albeit in very, very minor terms, uh, in big picture stuff without a lot of detail. It summarizes all the class storylines, tons of great info about the characters and locations, info that's not even in the game, including things like birth dates so you can put things in perspective. Uh, it really is an awesome, an awesome resource here that DK put out. I was very impressed by the Tor Encyclopedia.
1: Nice. Well, getting okay, back to the threat. Okay. We see in this one, the sun razor itself had created a whole bunch, but the, something the guy says, he goes, six more are under construction. We'd increase that number, but we've only located a select few solar systems to meet those requirements. So even though this sun razor was destroyed, there's six more out there creating these super weapons and a, to- at a, at a stake of a uh, two to three a year. I mean, you know, I, there's plenty there, I guess, in that aspect for the, the, the game, do have these missions where they go off and destroy more of these sunraisers, more of these super weapons and things of that nature. Um, Now, again, like I say, I'm in the middle of annihilation from what I recall. They don't say whether or not the war is over or not. And yet, I I mean like they, they, from where I'm at, they haven't flat out said it, but it could be over and you could be seeing like the standard Jedi uh, Republic versus the empire kind of thing Or it could still be in the middle of the war. I haven't got to the end of the book, so I don't know if that's like something that's coming down the line or something. But, yeah, you you mentioned that we haven't seen the end of the war. And and it makes me wonder, you know, from what we got in Annihilation with references to Darth Malgus and the Emperor and things like that. It's like there are obviously some things that happen in the game that I kind of would like to see happen in either a comic or in a book that right now are just kind of being referenced. But I really would like to see that in an out of game perspective, I like to actually see it, not have to go to the game to actually find out what happened. I mean, it kind of like how, you know, if you never got dark empire, you're kind of like, what happened to Luke? Why everybody keeps talking about this. What happened in it? And you got to go out and get it. And if you're one of those that like, I don't read comics, Hey, you got to read it. If you want to know. And it's one of those things, like I would like to see a, a, a book of, of certain aspects of those details come to light. You know, even if it's like a, a chronicling of in a flashback form,
0: Well, at least we've got the encyclopedia. So, I mean, it makes it so that it's not 100% essential to understand what's happening in this era to go through and actually play the game. I don't think a lot of people who play the game are going to wind up playing all the different class stories. And, you know, force or maker bless all of those fans out there who have taken the time while playing the game to record bits of action and all of the cutscenes that you get for all these class storylines and releasing them on uh, YouTube as playlists. I mean, I'm getting all my information. I mean, the, the sheer size of the summaries of each class storyline is insane. Let me open it up here to give you a sense here. On my desktop, I got a file, uh, Tor Stuff. Okay, click, click, click and hear me clicking "Tour Stuff. Um, Tor Stuff right now has the entire Jedi Knight and Jedi Consular storylines that summarized plus uh, about a third Of the smuggler storyline and a couple of oddball events that they mention within the span of the game. And eventually I will transfer these summaries once I have a chance to kind of integrate them together over onto the Star Wars Timeline Gold for its next big release, whenever that may be. Just those two and a half storylines written in 10 point aureal type. 22 pages. Whoa! And I've still got five and a half storylines still to go. (laughs) <laughs> um, it is absolutely massive. So my guess is most people are going to either watch those videos online, uh, which I've been watching, which are great, or they're going to wind up playing one class storyline and wanting something like Wikipedia or the Tor Encyclopedia to give them the rest of the story. That's why I'm thinking that uh, I mean, you can almost call this the essential guide to the Old Republic era, because it is essential. Even if you're playing the game, Unless you have no life outside of playing around on the computer um, or, or you have the money to buy a new computer, in my, which wound up being my case by accident because the other one died, um, yeah, I don't see people getting to that point. So most people are going to need the encyclopedia, and the encyclopedia hopefully will show you how rich this era is to make you want more and maybe turn you to the novels and possibly the comics. Hopefully the comics will not turn people away from the novels because the novels are leaps and bounds better than the comics were.
1: Yeah, that is true. I mean, definitely, uh, don't read the comics and think a hey, uh, this is as good as it gets because it only gets better from there. I mean, they're definitely a, a starting point, and and I agree a hundred percent on the aspect of the Lost Sons is definitely the essential of the Old Republic comics. I mean, you know, the other ones, it, it, it actually felt my heart good to know that that uh, Kel actually has more plot going on down the road because he was a character I wanted to know more about, and then he just disappeared. So that's cool to know that there is more to his tale and that he factors so predominantly in the Dark Council. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and I guess before we, we wrap up here, let me also sort of make a little side reference. Um, when I say the Tor Encyclopedia, that's actually what I mean. It's called The Old Republic Encyclopedia, The Definitive Guide to the Epic Conflict, written by many people who were involved in the game itself. That is the big book that's about the size of the Star Wars year by year. Um, it is also slipcased like the Star Wars year-by-year was. I do not mean what I originally bought thinking it'd be a good reference for the timeline and for storyline, the Old Republic Explorer's Guide. The Explorer's Guide, uh, which is put out by, gosh, I can't even tell, um, uh, Prima Games, Prima Games. The Explorer's Guide is basically just a strategy guide type thing, and all that it really tends to be is a bunch of maps with notes for where you can find certain characters and certain things. There's a little bit of story detail to it, but not much.
1: Oh, it's like the Kotor all. ones that they put out then.
0: E- even less detailed than that, because at least those oh. recap some of the storyline. Because in reading the the strategy of what you need to do, it gives you bits yeah. of the storyline. Not in this case, though. This case really is basically just annotated maps and a few little bits about. You know, it might show you a building and say that this building is run by the Hut Cartel and give you a tiny bit about what the Hut Cartel is, but not no, much. Nothing.
1: Avoiding yeah, because the, the KOTOR ex- ones—they had that whole like in the back where if you're playing as Anton and you talk to this person, say this, and you have that option, or right. if you say that, you have this option. <laughs>
0: right. If you're going to play, if you're if you're going to read a book to try to get information about the Old Republic and not play the game. You want the encyclopedia, not the explorer's guide. The explorer's guide is not worth the purchase if that's what you're buying it for. If you're playing the game, it is, but not if you're just going for storyline stuff. It's just—it's That's just not what that book was intended to be, even though a lot of folks uh, thought it was when they bought it.
1: Words of Wisdom by Nathan P. Butler. Yeah, Words now of Wisdom for the man
0: who got burned.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: Exclusive, my eye! Oh, we don't even <laughs> want to start with that.
1: Before we get out of here, we got the Annihilation Contest. That's right, I've got a copy of Annihilation hardcover here that's sitting here. Never been read. Never been read. Usually I give them away and I've read them once. Not this time. It is in mint, pristine-like condition, and it is waiting for you to send us an email with Annihilation Contest in the title. You can send that to SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. And remember, you can find our show at www.starwarsport.com, as well as on our Facebook page, iTunes, Zoom, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. If you liked our show, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes or the Zoom Marketplace, or even just fire us off one on Facebook. Uh, you can email us, too. and You can email us at swbeyondfilms at fanworks.com Once again, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you.
0: And don't. Quote us the odds that we'll ever see the end of this era in novel form,
1: or that some of these super weapons might fall into Palpatine's hands.